Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and I'm just so glad to spend the next few minutes with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we are learning how to live as God's people, and we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. All right. Well, are you ready for the holidays? I know some of you are thinking, ah, there's a ton of time till Christmas Eve. What is there to worry about? Oh, there is plenty to take care of. Don't you worry about that. In our scripture text today, Jesus gives three commands to his disciples while they wait for his return. It's to see, to stay alert, to search. The question is, is whether or not you will heed the commands of Jesus. I was thinking about these commands of Jesus uh, for our text today, and it occurred to me that during the holidays, our culture issues its own commands, like give, receive, (laughs) eat. That's a big one during the holidays, right? Spend. Our culture loves that command. Spend, spend, spend. One final one that I experienced, usually late on Christmas Eve after our church finishes its Christmas Eve service, the command that my body gives is collapse. It's time to rest. The holiday season is full of expectations, and some of us run ourselves ragged meeting everyone else's expectations. So here's a problem. At Advent, most of us get ready for Christmas, and our first thoughts go to celebrating and replaying the birth of Jesus. We also need to think of the return of Jesus on a white horse. So do you approach the holidays with anticipation and with hope? Or with a certain amount of dread? How is everything going to get paid for? How will you find time for everything, including watching your favorite holiday movie? Advent is about expectation. The expectation of Jesus and that you can be filled with the hope of Jesus. The scripture passage today is unusual. At least whenever we do these walks through Advent, I feel like it's unusual. Most Advent uh, scripture readings begin in a, very, in a place that doesn't feel very Christmassy, because it's a passage of scripture that's not about the birth of Jesus, but his return, his coming back that's yet to come in the future. And I always find it strange to begin the Christmas season this way, but Advent as a word means coming, the arrival, looking for the coming of Jesus. So we're to look for the coming of Christ. And he has come once already as a babe in a manger. And now we are called to look for his return, the rider on a white horse. So let's read the text. Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. But in those days, following that distress... The sun will be darkened, and the moon will give will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about the day and hour... 
no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So why is Jesus telling us this? These are all the words of Jesus we've just read. This is a scripture text that's difficult to hear. Generally, most people don't like to hear about the end of the world. It's kind of scary. The sun and the moon going dark and the stars falling out of the sky. It's a very unsettling picture to take in. But not only are the words of Jesus unsettling, they're difficult to understand. No one but the Father knows the time or day that this is going to happen. So why on earth does Jesus tell us these things? It helps at least a little bit, to take a moment and get a picture of what's happening in the story, why Jesus is saying these words to his disciples. Because Jesus and his disciples, they've just been at the temple in Jerusalem. They were just in there walking and talking and experiencing the sights and sounds there. And one of the disciples was just marveling at the impressive structure of the temple. This temple was a wonder of the ancient world. It had solid gold ornaments all over the place. The, the doors were made of gold. The, the white marble walls and the floors, the history records say, say that they were blinding when the morning sun reflected off of them. I mean, it was, it's just a phenomenal structure. And I can understand why the disciples would be impressed. Now, they exclaim, they see the temple, they exclaim how wonderful it is, and then they leave. And they head out of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, and the temple can still be seen in the distance because it dominates the view. And it is there that Jesus tells his disciples about the coming destruction of the temple. We didn't read that part. That's just before the words that I read that Jesus spoke. He says the destruction of the temple is following that distress that we started with. So the distress is the destruction of the temple. Jesus' words are fierce. And they leave us with a lot of questions. Questions like, when is this going to happen? Why does it have to be so difficult? How scary will the end be? And... Why can't we know when it's going to happen? But I would propose to you that all of those different questions, well, they're ones we really ask. They're not the right questions. They're often the wrong ones to ask. So why does Jesus teach us about the end? So that you and I can be on watch. You and I need to be on watch for Jesus. Because this world is full of magnificent and even good distractions. The wonder of our world should be enjoyed, but... If we're not careful, we'll get distracted and even become more content with this world than heaven, than the heaven that God has in store for us. Complacency and distraction are dangerous. Without watchfulness for Jesus, you're setting yourself up for struggle, not only in eternity, but for the present moment. Watchfulness will prepare you and fill you with hope that can carry you through any trial that this world sends your way. So, is there hope in Jesus' return? Yeah, there certainly is. Hope is a theme of the first Sunday of Advent. That's what today is, the first Sunday of Advent. You might be asking yourself, what hope is there in reading about the end of the world? But there's hope there. Is the end of the world a hopeful hopeful idea? Uh, It does actually depend. It depends on if you're ready. There's hope for the believer. 
It's certainly hopeful to hear about Christ's return if you are a follower of Jesus, but it's a warning for the non-Christian, and for the non-Christian, it's a call to follow Christ. Jesus' words are not a threat, but a simple truth and an invitation to follow him. J.C. Ryle writes about the hope that we have from Mark 13, uh, these words of Jesus about the end when we hear about the sun and the moon and the stars. And he says, here are comforting thoughts for Christ's friends. Their own king will soon be here. They shall reap according as they have sown. They shall receive a rich reward for all that they have endured for Christ's sake. They shall exchange their cross for a crown. And Jesus' own words give hope. Because he tells us that, one, he will arrive with great power and glory. His power is so great. I want you to think of this for a moment, because I I think we flip things around. We often think of the sun darkening and the moon stop giving us light and stars falling out of the sky and think, well, that's going to happen before Jesus gets here. Perhaps, this is a thought to think about, perhaps creation is reacting to the power of Christ. And even creation is quaking and the stars are going dark and... That's how powerful he is. All of creation is reacting to his arrival. But secondly, we're told that he will gather all of his people to him. It's quite a description we get because no Christian is forgotten. No Christian is left out. All of them are gathered up. He'll be there. And thirdly, I love the phrase that says, his word never passes away. I find great comfort in those words. This world is full of broken promises, failed plans. We're told here that the words of Jesus can be counted on forever. These promises tell you and they tell me that there can be great hope for the Christian no matter what. And the promise is not for ease. It's not for pain-free living. It's not for the absence of conflict in your family right now. But it is a promise for an eternity with real justice, with real wholeness, and the real presence of God. That can be yours if you would follow Christ. But it requires some diligence on our part. Last week, my wife and I were watching a show, and there was a line in it that we really liked. The characters in it were facing a dire situation, and one of them was despairing, and and the other one said, uh, uh, you know, hope is a choice. Hope is a choice. And that's something that I'm going to invite you to do, is to, to choose hope, remaining watchful. Following the commands of Christ here to be on guard and to watch is to choose the hope of Christ no matter what. And Jesus ends his teaching with a story of a household, and the household is watching for the return of its master. Throughout the story, Jesus offers three different words over and over to watch. And I want to take a look at those words for a moment, because when you watch, you are choosing the hope of Christ. Those three commands are see, they're stay awake, they're search, all throughout those couple of verses. It's between verses 33 and 37. He's using three Greek words over and over five different times. And the structure of those words is very specific. They are imperatives. They are commands. They are things that you must do. Jesus is not just suggesting. He's not just hinting that it might be a good idea for you to stay awake and to keep an eye out. He is commanding. So, we ought to pay attention to these words. And again, I said there are three Greek words. Won't get into what the Greek is, but one is to see, one is to stay awake, and, and one is to search. And they're all translated in very similar ways in this text, to be on guard, to be alert, to watch. 
to actively look and to search for the details. Now, I want to clarify the command to watch is not to figure out when the world will end. It is to look for Jesus, to be ready to meet with him when he returns. When Jesus returns, he's not going to quiz you on your thoughts on the arrival of the end times. What matters to him is whether you know him as your Lord and Savior. So I want to share a few of the benefits of this sort of watchfulness that Jesus is commanding. So the first one is this, be on watch so that you are ready. One commentator wrote this, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. I like that. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. There is a big difference between the two, isn't there? The closer we get to Christmas, the more stressful shopping malls will become. People will sense time running out and their need to be ready for the holidays will start to filter through. And it gets really intense, doesn't it? It's better to stay ready than to get ready. Grant Osborne describes it as a dentist visit, and he writes these words. Many of us, when we know that we're going to the dentist in a few days, we suddenly start brushing and flossing our our neglected teeth and gums, hoping that we will somehow trick the dentist into thinking that we have been faithfully taking care of our teeth. But the dentist can always spot a mouth that's been neglected. As one dentist said, be true to your teeth and they will never be false to you. Yeah. And there are many examples in life of how we ultimately we are held accountable for the choices we make. But sadly, we often ignore these consequences until it's too late. One day we will stand before God and give account of our lives. We should live each day in light of that reality. Second way I'd say to be on watch is this. Be on watch so that you grow in Jesus. Henry Nouwen writes these words because he was thinking about this waiting period that we're in before the return of Christ and how it's difficult to wait. And he wrote, waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we hear about him, meaning Jesus, for whom we are waiting. So I'd say this. Uh, Picture this. Did anyone ever grow up with a set of dishes that you weren't allowed to use? Or perhaps uh, towels in a special bathroom that you weren't supposed to touch? They were there for special occasions. When guests came over, it's good to honor the people we love, right? Yeah? But we ought not to treat Jesus as someone that we reach out to only at special moments, Christmas and Easter or emergencies. If you put your faith in Jesus on a shelf, only to get out in emergencies, you're missing a lot of opportunities to get to know him now. And now is the time to grow in your relationship with Jesus. So be on watch. Thirdly, be on watch so that distractions will not mislead you. This world is full of great stuff. It is full of good, wonderful things. I love the Christmas holidays. I want to enjoy them. I want you to enjoy them. But don't let them command you. Don't let your job command you. Don't let our culture command you. And don't try to be your own commander. Wonder? Wonder can be a distraction as well. And Jesus is warning a disciple not to be too taken by the beauty of the temple. That temple was the beating heart of Israel. The priests and the sacrifices and the power that was in it, the spiritual energy that was there. But the beating heart of faith is Jesus. He replaces the temple and he is the final sacrifice for sin once and for all. Distraction can keep you from watching for Jesus. 
It's ironic that Jesus is telling his disciples right now in this moment that we read about in Mark 13 to keep watch, to stay awake. If you continue through the Gospel of Mark in just a few days, the disciples will be caught falling asleep in the garden while Jesus prays just before he's arrested. They're distracted because they are looking at the wrong things. Fourthly, be on watch so that your relationship with Jesus becomes all the sweeter right now. So I was talking to my wife about this particular passage of scripture and the idea of being on watch, and she said I should use this example. So I want to be clear. I have her full permission to use this example that she suggested. I didn't come up with this. She did, okay? Betsy and I are both personality types that need a deadline to get a project finished. If there's no deadline, we will just wait a little longer. Call it procrastination if you like. A politer way to label it is with personality types. And in the Myers-Briggs assessment, we are both considered perceivers. We need a deadline because we like open options. And if we don't get some fixed deadline, we'll just wait. So here's one truth that you can know from this piece of information about our personalities. The truth is this, is that when company knocks on the door of our house, that rings that doorbell, the moment that we open the door and present our home, it is in its most pristine and clean condition it's ever going to be in. At that moment, it is at its best. The deadline is the doorbell signaling the arrival of guests. House is ready. It's clean. The second truth that I can tell you is that the 30 minutes before the doorbell rings are the most stressful moments you can experience in our home. You'll hear things like, run the vacuum cleaner, put the laundry away, and do not get in Betsy's way. Her eyes will shoot lasers at you. It's stressful. Now, we're working on changing this. We're trying to keep the house ready for company a little bit more often than normal. And the hope is is that readiness will remove stress and make for an easier time between the moments when company comes over. Watchfulness for Christ now is not only about eternity, heaven, but also about making your life all the sweeter in this moment. I want to be clear here. I want to, maybe this will help you capture what I'm saying a little bit here. I want to affirm that when someone receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior at the end of their life, they absolutely experience the full power of Jesus's forgiveness. Heaven is now their home, okay? But think for a moment this. How much sweeter would their life have been had they received Jesus sooner and let him transform them sooner? Because a lot of people fight battles that are hard and they experience a lot of stress because they tried to live without Christ. They could have avoided that had they received Jesus sooner. So being on watch is about knowing the sweetness of Jesus here and now and getting a lot of stress and aggravation out of your life because you've received Jesus. Eternity's taken care of. Fifth and finally, I will say this be on watch. But do not keep watch alone. Constant readiness is tiring. No one wants to remain in a state of tension all the time. Now, independence and, and the self, they are chief values of our culture and of our times. And as such, you might hear Jesus' commands for watchfulness. And you might hear in them a call to personally keep constant watch. Well, I got so much to do now to watch for Jesus all the time. But the constant watch is impossible. 
J.C. Ryle offered one perspective on this that I think is worth noting. He says, Jesus does not bid the farmer to neglect his land or the laborer his work or the merchant his business or the lawyer his calling. All he asks is that baptized people should live up to the faith into which they were baptized. Live as penitent people. Live as believing people. Live as people who know that without holiness, no one can see the Lord. But I think there's more going on in Jesus' words. Yeah, it's about just simply living out your faith, but I think there's something more happening. Jesus' parable at the end of the whole text we read today is about a master returning to his household. And we hear about the guards keeping watch, but it also says the household has many people serving in it, and they all are called to be ready. So there's cooks, there's cleaners, there's groundskeepers, there's bookkeepers and more. And I know it's not a British manor house, but you could picture that. A big, sprawling mansion with all of its staff. Constant readiness is impossible when you are alone. But when you're on a team, in a community, we can all work together in readiness, keeping watch. So you need the church. You need the local church. And the local church needs you so that we can be on watch together. I want to close by sharing a few words from C.S. Lewis. And he's writing about why it is good that we keep watch. Now, at the end of his illustration, he uses uh, an example of women selecting a dress. And the illustration might sound a little antiquated, but please... Listen for what he's saying about preparing for heaven. I think he's got a powerful word here. And so it reads like this. Precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all moments. Our Lord repeated this practical conclusion again and again, as if the promise of the return had been made for the sake of its conclusion alone. Watch. Watch is the burden of his advice. I shall come like a thief. You will not. I most solemnly assure you, you will not see me approaching. The point is surely simple enough. The schoolboy does not know which part of his Virgil lesson he'll be made to translate. That's why he must be prepared to translate any passage. The sentry does not know at what time the enemy will attack or an officer inspect his post. That is why he must keep awake at all the time. Women sometimes have the problem of trying to judge by artificial light how a dress will look by daylight. That is very like a problem of all of us, to dress our souls, not for the electric lights of the present world, but for the daylight of the next. The good dress is the one that will face that light, for that light will last longer. Here, during Advent, you have an opportunity to prepare not just for Christmas celebrations, but for eternity with Jesus. And Jesus offers the call. Keep watch. He is returning. Get ready. Let's pray. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and, and to put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life, in which your Son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, in the last day, when he shall come again and Again, in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore, we pray. Amen. Go with Jesus.